A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me thus, gird your loins, stand up and tell me all that I command you. Be not crushed on their account, as though I would leave you crushed before them. For it is I this day who have made you a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass against the whole land, against Judah's kings and princes, against his priests and people. They will fight against you, but not prevail over you. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. I will sing your salvation. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your justice, rescue me and deliver me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge, a stronghold to give me safety. For you are my rock and my fortress. O my God, rescue me from the hand of the wicked. For you are my hope, O Lord, my trust, O God, from my youth. On you I depend from birth. From my mother's womb, you are my strength. I will sing My mouth shall declare your justice, day by day, your salvation. O God, you have taught me from my youth. Until the present, I proclaim your wondrous deeds. I will sing for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Dominus Vobiscum. Lexia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. Hail 
Herod was the one who had John the Baptist arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, whom he had married. John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias harbored a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but was unable to do so. Herod feared John, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, and kept him in custody. When he heard him speak, he was very much perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. She had an opportunity one day when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers, his military officers, and the leading men of Galilee. Herodias' own daughter came in and performed a dance that delighted Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask of me whatever you wish, and I will grant it to you. He even swore many things to her. I will grant you whatever you ask of me, even to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? She replied, the head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried back to the king's presence and made a request. I want you to give me at once on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was deeply distressed, but because of his oaths and the guests, he did not wish to break his word to her. So he promptly dispatched an executioner with orders to bring back his head. He went off and beheaded him in the prison. He brought in the head on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl in turn gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Verbum Domini. Do you know that there is a part of you that is invincible, that cannot be defeated by the greatest military strength on earth, the greatest demonic angel? There's a part of you that is invincible, that cannot be overcome that cannot be defeated. I'd like to illustrate what that is through the example and the play and movie about St. Thomas More, A Man for All Seasons. There's a, a line in there that I, it's my favorite line in this play and movie, A Man for All Seasons, again on St. Thomas More. And this play, raises the question about what is the price of a man? The ambitious Richard Rich, who has his designs on advancing in the kingdom, insists to Thomas More that every man has his price. And More responds, no, no, no. Rich continues, pleasures, titles, women, bricks and mortar. There's always something. More responds, childish. 
Well, in suffering, certainly. By a man with suffering. Impose suffering and offer him escape. And Mo responds, oh, for a moment I thought you were being profound. <laughs> Cardinal Wolsey says, you are a constant regret to me, Thomas, the compromising Cardinal Wolsey. You're a constant regret to me, Thomas. If you could just see the facts flat on without that horrible moral squint. <laughs> King Henry tries to convince him too to compromise. He says, there are those like Norfolk who follow me because I wear the crown. There are those like Master Cromwell who follow me because they are jackals with sharp teeth and I am their lion. And there is a mass that follows me because it follows anything that moves. And then there's you. His own wife, Alice, wants him to compromise on his conscience. Alice says to Thomas, you are too nice altogether, Thomas. Moore responds, woman, mind your house. Alice, I am minding my house. Moore, well, Alice, what would you want me to do? Be ruled. If you won't rule him, be ruled. And here's my favorite line in this play. Moore responds, I neither could nor would rule my king. But there is a little, little area where I must rule myself. It's very little, less to him than a tennis court. When you think that he's the ruler of all of England, it's a little place, but there is this place where I must rule myself. And that's for you and I. This is that invincible part of us that cannot be defeated by the greatest military strength or fear that can be imposed upon us or even some angelic demonic power, that we have this invincible part of us. Why? Because he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. That when we live, that's St. John's words in his first letter, that when we live in a state of grace in union with Christ, that's what makes us invincible, cannot be defeated. And never forget that. As we can be fearful of all of the things that are going on in the culture and society today, remember that that is an invincible part of you. Only you can decide to compromise or not. And with the strength of Christ, will remain undefeated. Here's what the Catechism says about our moral conscience. And we Americans, we can easily find this because it's Article 1776. Let's live our conscience here in the United States. 
Here's a definition of conscience that they take from the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice, ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. It goes on in other articles to speak of how it bears witness to the authority of truth. The opening prayer spoke of John the Baptist as a martyr for the truth and justice. When he listens to his conscience, the prudent man can hear God speaking. And the last article in this section on moral conscience says this, man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom so as personally to make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience. So relevant for us today. Think about a Catholic farmer who is barred from the farmer's market because he holds that marriage is between a man and a woman. Or a collegiate woman swimmer opposed to men using women's locker rooms and competing against women. Or a baker photographer who holds to the traditional view of marriage and is threatened with the loss of their businesses. Or Catholic charities in many places in our country having to shut its doors because they hold that a child deserves a father and a mother or the Little Sisters of the Poor, Hobby Lobby and EWTN, who had a several years long battle regarding the government's contraception mandate, or in England being threatened for silently praying outside of an abortion facility because it's unjust. Man has a right to act in conscience and in freedom so as to personally make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience. And ultimately, we can't be forced to act against our conscience. That's what Thomas More is saying. There is a small part. I, would ne I could, I would neither could or would rule my king, but there's a small part of myself that I must rule myself. It's a small part, less than a tennis court to the king. I wanted to tell the story this morning of a man who was beatified in 2017, March 18th, 2017. And uh, his name is Blessed Joseph Meyer-Nusser. He lived in Northern Italy during the Second World War. And it was then as the Nazis were advancing that they 
took over the northern part of Italy and they conscripted many of the Italians, among them Joseph, into the SS. And he realized he was a father, just had a newborn son. But he realized, and this was something that he's wrestling with that we see in his letters, that he's going to have to be required to take an oath of fidelity to Hitler, something that in conscience he can't do. And at his beatification, Cardinal Angelo Amato gave the homily. And he says, and this is narrated by an eyewitness, the moment of decision, the day before he's going to have to take the oath along with the other who have been conscript, conscripted into the Nazi SS. This is what an eyewitness that Cardinal Amato quoted. All of a sudden, during that lesson, Pepe raised his hand. His nickname was Pepe. He raised his hand and asked the sergeant to be able to say something. With few but clear words, he declared that he could not take the oath. The sergeant was amazed. Having recovered, he called the company commander, who asked Pepe why he could not take the oath. So you are not 100% national socialist. Pepe replied calmly, no, in fact, I'm not. The commander kept his cool, but asked Pepe to write down the statement he had just made, which he immediately did. The whole company was as if paralyzed, and many had the sensation that he had just signed his own death sentence. And so it was that he was found guilty of treason, and he was condemned to be sent to Dachau to be shot to death. But as he's being put in a cattle car with many others, they come to a point where the tracks had been blown up and they had to wait eight days without food or water in this cattle car on the train, and he died. He was overcome. But it was actually a, an SS officer that wrote a letter to his wife about the strength of Joseph and how he had his, among his few possessions, a New Testament, a missal, and a rosary. And in his letter, this SS guard testified that the day that he gave up his soul to God, and except for a few spoonfuls of soup, he gave his food to those who were hungrier. And he said, he died in his letter to Joseph's wife. He died for Christ, of that I am now sure. I'm nevertheless strongly convinced that I spent 14 days in inhuman situation, situations with a saint. Now he is my great intercessor with God. And interestingly, he had been inspired, Joseph had been inspired by the story of St. Thomas More, by the story of Blessed Miguel Pro and by the example of St. John the Baptist. In a 1930 
38 article he wrote about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light. Few words. What task? Witnessing the light, announcing Christ to the world. An undertaking that requires courage. Around him, darkness, deaf ears. And yet he, St. John the Baptist, had to bear witness. Testimony is at the same time our task and our weapon. We young Christians are reborn to new life by water and the Holy Spirit. We carry within us the light of truth, Christ. Let us not carry it timidly for ourselves. And so courageously. And you know what? Even in that cattle car, dying of starvation and the horrible situation that he was in, he had a profound peace within himself, much greater than Herod had, who's trying to acquiesce, fearful of what the crowd might think, or trying to impress them by, I can give you half my kingdom. But Joseph had this profound peace that only grew and intensified with each yes to the Lord in his fidelity to his conscience. And he had that profound peace that led to ultimately to glory. Blessed Joseph Meyer Neusser, St. Thomas More, Blessed Miguel Pro, St. John the Baptist, help us to be courageous in our day.